So he was born in a city, not the biggest city, not the capital city, but still a pretty prominent place. You might say like a top five media market. Um, it was a city that was renowned for scholarship. Um, and in fact, this was the place where the Old Testament scriptures were translated from Hebrew into Greek and assembled into what we call the Septuagint, but what Jesus and his contemporaries at the time probably just called scriptures. Um, and that's where Apollos was born, and that's where he grew up. And he was raised Jewish, and he grew up in this town that had this great scholastic lineage, and he knew the scriptures so very well. He had been given from birth a deep understanding of who God is and a great framework for making sense of the world. And he was very smart, very well educated. He presented himself well. And as he grew up, he traveled some. And at one point in his life, he had kind of a, probably was a big year for him. He was outside of Jerusalem, near the Jordan River, and there was another guy that was there speaking, who was a very different presentation from what you might imagine an Apollo's speech was. This guy's hair was nuts, he was dressed in leather, he was eating bugs as they came. Of course, this was John the Baptist. But the man spoke with such passion, such zeal, like he did not hold anything back. He saw some Pharisees and he called them a brood of vipers. He pulled no punches. He let everything know how it was going to be. But he was the voice proclaiming from the wilderness. And Apollo, with his deep biblical knowledge, recognized what was going on. And it excited him. And a passion that he had never known before filled him. And he listened with fervor to the words of John. And he was baptized for repentance. And he was filled with so much zeal because he knew these were the signs that were in the scriptures that signaled the coming of the Messiah. And so he began to go everywhere he could go and continue to tell the story. Reaching back into his youth of, of all of the knowledge that he had and also leaning back from that moment of passion that he saw from John. And he went everywhere and he shared what was happening, what was going on. And he spoke with, again, with deep knowledge, but also deep passion. People were just enamored to listen to him. And as he went on, he began to hear, I'm sure, about what was going on with Jesus. And he, being a guy that knows the scriptures very, very well, probably put two and two together. And he's like, I hear, what, I hear these stories about Jesus, what he's done in Galilee what he's done through Samaria, what he's done in Jerusalem. This is probably the guy. And he begins to speak and to add this to the story that he tells as he begins to continue to get more and more people excited and more and more people ready for what he knows is going to come. Well, we all know Jesus dies. And, and Apollos hears this. And as a Jew that is well-versed in the Jewish scriptures, that's kind of confusing. 
They didn't see that one coming. But he continues to go and he continues to speak because people like to hear him and he still wants to really believe. He still has this hope that somehow something's going to go right, but he doesn't fully understand how this how this shakes out. Like he was he was so convinced when he met John, and the more he heard about Jesus, the more he was convinced. But now things aren't starting to make sense. And as he continues to go, and as he continues to speak to speak, he struggles with what to say. He still speaks with fervor. He still speaks deeply from the scriptures. He has that knowledge. But when it comes to the end of the Messiah, the end of the story of Jesus, he just kind of like skips past that, hoping people maybe not won't notice or that other people can put it together. Um, and more and more, he feels maybe a little less authentic, although he tries to hide it in his presentation. Let's tell you a different story. I was born in Dallas. From my youth, I've been taught the scriptures. There is a, an audio recording of me somewhere at three years old at the Skillman Church of Christ reciting the 23rd Psalm at a Wednesday night service. I have been raised with an understanding of Scripture and a deep appreciation for it, a knowledge of who God is, a framework for understanding that. And then, about a decade ago, I had a big experience, a series of things throughout the course of a year. I was able to be part of a deep spiritual formation group where I learned a lot about certain practices that really taught me ways to experience God that I had never known before, even though they were really ancient. I went to Ghana on a mission trip, and man, when I was over there, and I saw the work that was being done with orphans, um, that, was the, that was the moment that my faith was the most like certainty it's ever been. Everything was very crystal clear. What they were doing was good. What they were fighting against was bad. It was, it was clear. I also read several books that year, and just all in all, that year was a major milestone for me. And I came out of that with this passion and with this drive. And coming out of that year, shortly thereafter, we found Storyline. And learning what was going on here in this community, and, 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 and learning that there were people that even knew what my neighborhood was, let alone lived near it, that were part of this community that wanted to do something different with church, that didn't just want to be in a church building somewhere, but wanted to be out and active in the neighborhood and out and active doing things. And then finding that there was another group in my neighborhood that was like that and that we got to be friendly with and got to join them in doing other things. There was so much excitement and so much passion and so much zeal behind what we were doing. It was incredible. But it's really weird because over time it started to just kind of decrease. I don't know how to describe this other than I think I've gone through some sort of a passive deconstruction. I would notice in conversation with people or just on my own thinking about things that 
I no longer believe this. And I didn't realize when that happened or how it happened. But just different parts of my framework for understanding God. I was just like, this doesn't quite make enough make sense anymore. But I still had hope. I still want to believe that this is all true. And I'm still here as a leader in this church. I'm still here speaking. Speaking very carefully about which passages I take on and, and which parts of the story I emphasize and which ones I just leave to the group discussion. <laughs> it's been a struggle. But let's go back to Apollos for a moment. Apollos was going through town one day, and he spoke, and a couple named Priscilla and Aquila heard him. And as they were listening to him, they heard something remarkable in the way that he spoke. They noticed the way that he spoke with the zeal. They noticed the way that he spoke with knowledge of the scriptures. But they also noticed that he was avoiding talking about some things. There's something missing. So, the Bible says they pulled him aside and explained everything more accurately to him. But let me just point out that the, that the story that Luke tells is a very fast-paced, high-action story. You go from the Spirit showing up in Pentecost to all of a sudden people are spread out across everywhere. Now there's a church in Antioch, and Paul's like made three trips around the world, and it all happens really quickly. And so it's easy to read that and go, oh, this is a, they, they pulled him aside and said, listen, buddy, let me tell you what you're missing. You got it. He's like, great, I'm good. And he goes off. But I don't know that that's really how that happens. That doesn't gel with my experience of how stuff like this happens. I feel like they took him aside. Maybe they took him home. Maybe they ate together. Maybe they spent, but I imagine they spent some serious time listening to his story, sharing their story, and hearing how he came from Alexandria and how he heard of John and how he heard about Jesus and how he was so excited but that things weren't it just it didn't add up and it didn't make sense because you see what they realized in Apollos and what they were able to help him realize was that his framework for understanding who God was who God is was not adequate it was no longer there. What he had been taught about God as a child in Alexandria through the scriptures, what he had seen happen with John, that had led him to this point. <clears throat> but it was no longer adequate to, ex- to help him understand and make sense of the world that was going on. There was information and understanding about the very nature of God. You see, with God... Everything that we know about God, all the words that we use to talk about God, all the ways that we can describe God, those are metaphors. Because God is bigger than our imagination is able to comprehend. It's bigger than our language. So we have words like shepherd, or father, um, or creator, or king, or lord, or all these things, but they are all metaphors. And sometimes... The metaphor doesn't quite 
doesn't quite cut it. Sometimes it's limited, right? Like, God isn't a literal shepherd. He doesn't have literal sheep that go around. If you think about everything that a shepherd does, you're probably going to find some edge cases where it's like, well, that doesn't really sound like God. The same thing with a king, or a general, or a lord, or a builder, or all of the other words that all together help us try to get some sort of an understanding of who God is. It doesn't quite fit. And in that same way, Apollos' framework, knowing who God was and what God was trying to do in the world was not adequate and did not fit. Now the Bible says, Luke says in his story that he only knew the baptism of John. Um, which John's baptism sounds nice, but I appreciate that they give us another anecdote about people that only knew the baptism of John, because I think that sheds some light on this, right? We're with Apollos and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, remember Paul? Paul was also doing stuff. And he runs in to some guys that only knew the baptism of John. What a coincidence. And they're talking, in this, and he's asking them, he's like, well, did you guys get the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they're like, the what? You know, the Holy Spirit. We, we're, we're not familiar with this term. We didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, oh, wow, you guys are about to have your minds blown. Right. And the story shows that he prays and they're baptized and, and he puts his hands on them and they, they receive the Holy Spirit and they start doing miraculous things. Right? And what happened was their framework for knowing God, their understanding of who God was, was too small, too limited, not adequate. They didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. And when they learned, when they got learned to experience more, to open their eyes and their minds to what God could be, Amazing things happened. And that's what happened with Apollos too. When he was able to open up and let go of all of the, the limitations that he didn't realize were limitations that he put on God, but all of the statements that he knew about what God was and how God operated, then he was free to go and become one of the heroes of this book. So, for me, I became aware of this discontent with things. And it manifested itself in some pretty bad ways, and I tried to keep it to myself. But I got to a point where I couldn't pray anymore. Just, I, just, I got into this internal argument with myself about whether it even mattered. I got to a point where I couldn't really even sing worship songs anymore. Because it just I, I couldn't decide if I was being authentic with myself or not. Even though I really wanted to. And I didn't understand why. So for me, in my story, it took a weekend retreat in solitude. Where I had nothing to do but walk around and deal with this problem. And it did. It took me an entire day and ten miles of walking before it finally understood that... I've got issues with my understanding of God. And all of these other things that are coming around out of that are coming out of that. And it's taken some more time processing through to realize that I had a framework that was overly limiting, telling me who God was, that didn't fit with the world and with what was going on in it. I'm still going through this journey. But being able to come to that has freed me 
so much to be able to worship again, to be able to pray again, to be able to be okay with not knowing what God looks like, not knowing what God is really up to or doing, not not being okay with not having to have all of the answers about all of this, but having that, that hope that there is a God and that that God is good and that faith that God will make all of this stuff right. So I don't know. I've, I've talked a lot. I've shared a lot. How do you all respond to this? Is there something that you're hearing in my story or the story of Apollos, which is basically my story just projected on him? <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you hear in this? Or has anyone else ever experienced anything like this? Probably younger. I, I went through my midlife experience earlier, I think, 
where I just was so scared that what if there's nothing after I die? Mm. Which to me is, is worse than hell. And the concept of hell is like, what if I just quit? And there's nothing. And I'm all wrong on this. Um, that frightened me for, for a very long time. Um, and that's where I came to that conclusion that, okay, this is where I'm sticking, but I'm putting my eggs in this basket because nothing else seems to make sense to me. Uh, but it's all a matter of, as Terry said, we've got to struggle with it. We've got to, we've got to work our way through it. Uh, but in that other aspect that you're saying is that those people who seem to have it all together and seem to know without any doubts, they do frighten me. Because that's, if you haven't struggled with doubt at all, then how can you really say you didn't have faith? I think they don't have anything. I, um, I think about the uh, the other two in the story, the Priscilla and Quilla, mm-hmm. and just how important a role that is to be able to come alongside people and walk with them and uh, kind of gently help them forward and. Um, and just like in personally, just like man, I, I need I need people like that for me. Um, I want to be that kind of person uh, like that too. So I kind of um, I think it's hard to feel like you're on your own if the journey is like all in my head and I have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. That's a lonely difficult I was gonna ask Ted, like, what what brought you from a place of like struggling to pray and that kind of thing to going on that retreat? Because that to me seems like that takes a lot of courage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To go be by yourself for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So what kind of? Yeah, that's a it's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I I was at work one day and I got a phone call from from this guy that um, I hadn't talked to in several years that had led that original spiritual formation journey that I took in ten years ago and we said hey we're gonna do this and we've had some cancellations and so I'm, I'm reaching pretty deep right now. Do you want to come? <laughs> and I was, I don't know, I talked to Megan and she was like, you need some time by yourself. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's figure out how to make it happen then. So that was basically it. I think I knew that I needed this. I don't know what specifically I needed, but I knew that I needed time to, to sort through some stuff. And, and don't yeah. you think that even if you doubt and even if you are struggling with your faith, there's something in you that wants resolution, you know, that wants a peace after wrestling with God. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, yes. There's something, even if you're like, you know what, I don't know that it's God anymore. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. I'm not really even sure that it's God. I still think that there's something in us, a spirit or a something that draws us back to this is what I know, this is what I need to 
rediscovered? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, we, so Richard Kalinic's group, we were working our way through this book that Melinda read, and it's like, it's reviving old scratch, and it's mm -hmm. the devil for demons, daughters, and disenchanted. And he just talks about how the kind of spiritual warfare, the Holy Spirit, or the powers that be, that kind of thing, when we sort of rationalize and logic our way through faith, or if we start to deconstruct and we don't have a conception of this spiritual realm and the fact that there are like spiritual battles going on, we just become gradually more and more um, disconnected. Um, because it's, we're missing like a crucial part of who God is. And I think it's interesting that at the end of the story, they don't tell Apollos this is exactly the stuff that you need to follow <laughs> to believe in God and to understand his uh -huh. truth. They just baptize him with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes. And we tend to think, like, I tend to think the Holy Spirit is something that comes when you've got all the pieces put together. But the Holy Spirit is something that comes when we have none of the pieces put together. And he, like, brings it together. He brings it together. And so... Um, I mean, I, when you say like there's something in us, I think if God has like He, if He sealed us with the Holy Spirit, then that's the Holy Spirit telling us, even if it does not manifest itself in the tongue of fire, saying, "Come back, I'm here." And you know what? I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share for a second. I think you're right about that. You know, um, and it's to me, it's really hard. When you struggle through something, I remember Daryl was in, we were in ministry, and I wouldn't tell anybody that I didn't believe. I didn't tell Daryl for a whole year that I was sitting in church for a whole year not believing. Because, because, because what would people say? Yeah. What would people say if you say, I don't believe, and your husband's uh, a youth minister or whatever, I don't believe, I don't know that I believe all that stuff's true. I don't even, and you sit there and you kind of feel hypocritical. But you're sitting there, and that was a time that God drew me back to His Word. And I, I spent a year of just in His Word, just soaking up as much as I could. There's still things that I don't have any answers for. I, I just don't, and we're all going to be there. And and yet, right now, in my faith, right now, my faith has been, I, I thought at this age, I'm, I'm going to have a right, I'm going to have been there, I'm going to know what I believe. I mean, my faith right now is totally de deconstructed. It's just totally deconstructed right now. And, um, you know, it has to do with my child, not believe it. And that's another thing. We want to think that if we do everything right and we're the parents that we need to be, then our children are not going to believe. And that it's going to be okay. And that's totally... And how do you say that to people? How, how do you say that? I mean, it's like, who wants me to stand up and teach y'all to tell y'all that, that you, if you do all of the... I want you to stand up and teach us, but carry on. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you, because this is something that's been in my heart for so long, and I've, I've carried it around, and it hurts. My heart is broken right now. And I don't share that with a lot of people, but my heart is broken for my daughter. And it just keeps being broken. Dasha said one time, what guarantees do I have? And I looked at her, and I said, you have none. And she, she just looked at me, then what do I do? I said, you build a faith. You be the parent that you need to be. You instill God in them, and you love people. And I said that, and to this day, I'm trying to believe that on my own. And I thought that I entrusted God with my daughter, and my supervisor told me the other day, no, you have not. <laughs> my supervisor told me that because I finally 
went outside and told someone else where I am right now. And my supervisor said, you have not totally given your daughter to, to God. And my supervisor is struck, have, has gone through a time of not believing herself. And she looked at me and said, you have not totally given your daughter to God yet. And so I just say all that to just say, and thank you, because sometimes in the church, we carry around a burden in our heart, and who wants to say, um, Terry, would you teach a class on parenting? Uh, you know, when I, if I was honest, we did all the check boxes. We did. I know what kind of parents we were, and I know everything we did was very intentional and very, it took me eight years to have my child, not to put my junk on my child, and so everything we did was very intentional. It, all that's a bunch of junk. That's all i got to say. It's all a bunch of junk. <laughs> you can do all of it, and you have no guarantee. Parenting 101. I have not been this honest with anybody. Because it's hard, because we think that if, if we... If we grow up in the church and we all do it all right, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. If we are the kind of parents that we should be, our kids are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then they're not. And what I say, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong? And as your daughter says, she didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. I still want to come home. <laughs> yeah, I just vomited yeah. all over all Thank you. Thank you for all of that, Terry. I'm just tired of acting like if you do all the right things, everything's going to be okay because it's not always going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to tell people. It's hard for me to say that. Mm-hmm. It's just hard for me to say that. Mm-hmm. It is, but we need to hear it. Mm-hmm. We need that. Because you're right. Like This is, a, this is for a separate story and another person to tell, but... My my brother had quite a history coming out through high school and um, his his early adult years that nearly wrecked my parents and they had, they learned that the hard way too that that yeah you you can you can do everything right and all those all those people that will teach you oh train up a child and the way they should go shut up. <laughs>
that shook up my faith. Uh, my psychology professor said that she counsels marriages that are in trouble. She, had, she, she counsels one of the people having an affair to spice things up. And I went, wait a minute, I'm a Baptist college and said that out loud. And she said, yes, this is, what about thou shalt not commit adultery? She says, is that in the Bible? I went, okay. Three days, I couldn't think. I would talk to her, she office hours, she had me on short says, I used to be like you, and then I outgrew that. I'm like, whoa, I'm here, I'm one girl in Christ, I'm committed to following Jesus all the way, and these bozos are telling me all this slop. And so I was in crisis. I mean, that was my first big deconstruction. I didn't construct it, I didn't deconstruct it. And so a year later, God had me in Fairland, Texas. I walked the country roads for two years. I told God everything, every fear, every doubt, all my yuck, and I cussed and shouted, God, you do not cut your roads. And, uh, and, and we, we got squared. We got squared. So what I'm saying is, is, is that long walks is vital. I'm also saying that what I learned later is that solitude, which is rare today, was common before the Industrial Revolution. That was common. Fasting and solitude was just like prayer and reading the Bible. They're always together. We're in a time that we call this day the digital age. Some people say this is the information age. Some say this is intake, this is the input age. We have no time to reflect, no time to process. You know, the, the mess enemy wants to give you more and more and more ads for you to, for you to buy, 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 buy. They want you to take two thoughts on your own alone. So getting away is part of it. And the open arms and straight up with God. He will talk to your heart if you ask. A S K ask. Thank you, John.